Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday around 5 and I'm going to experiment and see if I can hop around a little bit of time and maybe do the partial broadcast because everybody's bothering me that they don't have enough time if I send in on Friday. Trouble is I have a life also. But let me see what I can do. Uh, this week should be Toldos, right? Which is the little that we know about Yitzhak. He's not told a lot of. We know a lot of, relatively a lot about Abram and relatively a lot about Yaakov, I guess. But very little about Yitzhak. Very interesting person because there's a little everybody's speculating. But anyhow, you know, there's a lot of theories which I'm a hold of. Um, I'll tell you what draws my attention. Do you know any girls named Yehudas? I have a daughter-in-law named Yehudas. A lot of cousins named Yehudas. A lot of people named Yehudas. Why do they call people Yehudas? Uh, well, it's somebody in the Bible. As best as I can tell, Yehudas is the shiksa wife of Esau in this week's Pasha who drove Yitzhak and Rifka crazy. Right? Uh, isn't that what it says? It says that uh, there's a whole set of events with Yitzhak and the Arabs, which I'll return to in a second. And then Esau married two girls, <laughs> two at one time. So he wasn't like his parents only married one. You know, a famous story... I think I mentioned here is that uh, the Elvis were not polygamists, not by choice anyway. And when Yitzhak marries Rivka, he says he fell in love with her. Says those words. And then at the beginning of the parsha, according to Chazal, it says, Vayetar Yitzhak Nochachishto, they were childless. And uh, Yitzhak prayed Lenochachishto, which means that he pretty much put an ultimatum to God. And he said, Any children I'm going to have is going to be through this Tzadikist, Rivka. So he was really into her because how can you tell Hashem what to do, you know? What if a voice came out from heaven and said, marry somebody else? He's basically saying, I'm not going to do it. It's quite a story. Quite a story. So we see Yitzhak, the determined monogamist. And then he's got his son named Esau. And uh, he marries these two girls, you know, two dames. Uh, Yehudis and Bosmas. Take a look at the parish, you'll see. And there were two shikses, so therefore they didn't really... It's not like you married two Ruths. You know, Garrett Sedex or something like that. That's a different story altogether. It wasn't like that. So uh, they were the opposite. So first, they married two girls. One wasn't enough for him. And second, later, he'll marry a third and fourth. Who knows? You know, the Arabs, you know. And then, um, and then they were bad. I can't think of any other Yehudas in the Tanakh. I mean, I'm not in the Bible contest or in Jerusalem or anything like that. Maybe if you Google, you'll find it. But offhand, now there's a Judas. Hanukkah is coming up. There's a phony story uh, in the Apocrypha, which is not part of the Hebrew Bible, which we're not supposed to believe in, called the Book of Judas, which, you know, about the, she chops off the head of Holy Fornis, is a little bit of a variation on the Yael and Sisera story, you know, uh, which is in the Tanakh, of course. But uh, are you telling me all these famous Jews, Jewish ladies down the centuries called Yehudas is named after uh, the hero, heroine in the Apocrypha story? Or alternatively, you're going to tell me that they're named after <laughs> the chicks of wife of Esau? Isn't it funny? It's interesting. If I'm wrong, you know, uh, tell me. Uh, I can't find any other Yehudas I can think of. So it's, it's just kind of interesting. Now, what do we find in this week's parasha? You know, all kind of stuff. Obviously, the story of Yaakov and Esau. 
not sure I have to go into all that. You know it all. But uh, I think the story less focused on is the relationship between Yitzhak and the Palestinians, or the Philistines to be exact. There seems to have been an area called Gerar. And Gerar, in this place, Gerar, as best I can tell, is in the northern Negev. In other words, the Plishtim, we classically think of the Gaza Strip. These people more like somewhat south of Beersheba, in that general area, which is the northern Negev, which as Israel has shown today can be fertile if you uh, water it properly. And uh, it's just interesting that there were these uh, famines, like in this week's Parsha, there's a rob, there's a famine in the land, and uh, Yitzhak moves south to Gerar. So he was hanging around um, Hebron, and he was hang- where Avram lived, and he was hanging around Beersheba, possibly. But then he goes to Nachal Gerar, to, to, to the northern Negev. Remember, he's got a ton of sheep and cattle and things like this. And that's where he gets in these uh, quarrels with the Plishtim, uh, with Abimelech, with the, with the Palestinians, because uh, they keep fighting over water sources. Isn't that right? And, uh, you know, there's a famine. And Hashem says, Shechon Baris, don't move to Egypt or anything like that. Gor Baris says, oh, stay here in Israel, and we'll work this out. And uh, and then comes that, so he dwelt in Gror. And then we have that funny story, round three, where one of the Imahos is seized by this guy. guy. No, I'm wrong. He wasn't seized anything. It's, it's, think of this well. We have three stories involved, A, B, and C. Sarah A, Sarah B, and then Rivka. Uh, Sarah A is, she's seized by Paro, who took her to the palace and then got struck with leprosy. So he couldn't touch her. But he wanted to. They have Gror in the time of Abraham, where he said it was a sister, and therefore, he seized Sarah. But then, uh, yeah, as you know, God came in the middle of the night and said, don't lay a finger on her or else. And so he let her go. He was angry. He said, why did you tell me you know, it's your sister and all that. Pyro said the same thing. And so he basically, because he laid a hand on her, but that's all, so he gave her uh, and he, he he paid her off, like we would say today, gave her ex- extensive damages. You know, no hard feelings. And now we have the third time, Yitzhak, who is hanging around with Rivka, who's very pretty. That's what he said in last week's parsha. And he says to his sister, this is Avi Melch. Is it the same guy from Abraham? Then he's definitely. Says, I've been around this block before. These Jews come and say it's his sister, and really, it's 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 it's, it's not the sister. You understand? And then you, what 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 happens? It's really interesting. The pasuk says, yeah. They asked, "Who is it? It's my sister, Ben Yarguni, because he might kill me." because she was good looking. And then it says like this: After a while. Vayashkif Avimelch Melch Plishtim Barachalon. Avimelch with a peeping tom. He looked through the window, okay? And Vayar Yitzhak Mitzachik Yisrivk Ishto. And he saw Yitzhak uh, fooling around, conducting himself uh, intimately with his with Rivko. Now, usually, when I was young, you used to think like this uh, Avimelch was sitting in his palace, and he happened to look out the window, and he says, Holy cow, what's going on over here? And that would mean that Yitzhak and Rivka were sitting by themselves, so they thought, and they didn't know they are being observed, and whatever. But now I think it means like this. Here's Avimelech, here's this rich guy, Yitzhak, with his beautiful wife. Well, my father went through this, or maybe I did if it's the same Avimelech. Almost got killed last time. And it never says in this week's Parsha that he lays a finger on her. I want you to notice that. 
It doesn't say he took her or anything like that. It says he looked through the window. I think it means like this. He was very suspicious. It's your sister, huh? I've been through this before. I say it became a peeping Tom. He stared through the window of Yitzhak's tent. In which case, it was snooping on somebody's privacy. That makes more sense. You know, and then he saw Rivka. And, of course, because they didn't know some weirdo was looking through the window. You understand? And then he says, oh, you told me it was your sister and all the rest of it. So that I can totally hear. Makes more sense. Uh, and then he says, you could have gotten us all killed. So he sounds like somebody's been burned. And uh, if anybody would have slept with your wife, would have touched your wife, then it would have been catastrophe. He's already known this, you see? So it's just interesting to compare and contrast the stories of Paro, and then Abimelech with Sarah, and then Abimelech after he's been burned with Rivka, okay? And like from then on, this ruse of she's my sister doesn't work because nobody trusts him anymore. They're always looking, peeping Tom looking through the windows. This is just very interesting when you think of it that way. Now, What's the result of all this? Uh, Yitzhak stays here. They, they put out a word, nobody touches this guy or his wife, most you must. Uh, so he's got personal security. He starts planting and he gets Meisharim. This is what you get in this week's Parsha. So what is that, a, a thousand percent profit? And uh, the Arabs get very angry. And they say, Right, because uh, uh, something like that. And uh, the, the Philistines are jealous of him. Plus, if he's got a belt of cattle and, you know, sheep and things like that, he, they're eating up all the grass, they drink up all the water. And then you find that Yitzhak basically is told, Lech me manuki at get out of here, you're too, you're too strong for us, meaning you're too rich. Uh, you know, you're not just like a, a private stranger hanging around here. You're taking over everything. Uh, very much a, a foreshadowing of Jewish history. Lech me manuki at Jews been expelled from many countries. Because we felt they're getting too rich, and uh, and he moves the nach. So it says, I think he moves not from the northern Negev. Moves let's say ten twenty miles south to Nachal Gror. He was in Gror and then moved to Nachal Gror, which obviously was a wadi or something again, and something of a more fertile area. And then comes the whole shtick, where it says like this: uh, Avram had been there before. Avram dug these wells, and the policemen plugged up the wells. They plugged up the wells. Why? A well is a well. It's a place of water. A guy discovers a well in the desert, in the wilderness, that's the Gavaldi Gamatsiya. And uh, everybody can use it. This is exactly what happened to Gushkatif. Remember? They gave the Arabs when the Israelis pulled out all these hot houses and fancy agricultural products and high tech <coughs> farming situation. And the Hamas, what did the Palestinians do? They trashed everything because they probably have nothing and leave no remnant behind it. The Jews were there. Wasn't this in 2006? Wasn't that long ago. To me, it's like yesterday. It's the exact same thing from 4,000 years ago in this week's Parsha. By Yisat Mum Plishtim. They took a well, which, is, like I said before, is a rare source of water. And, uh, you know, they're not all over the place. But they'd rather plug them up and deny anybody the water uh, because they want no, no uh, living remnant a reminder that Avram was once here. That's what it says, that, you know, when Avram died, they were afraid of him. When Avram died, they weren't afraid of him anymore, and they destroyed all of his wells. They plugged up the wells. The, the image of plugging up a well is just a very interesting one in the Middle East. And so what Yitzhak, of course, does is, Yitzhak found himself in a Nachal new area, and he found Bermayim Chayim, 
you know, he found a, a water source, and then the Roe Gror, the Arabs, show up, and they say, it's our water. And they start getting this whole shtick. Remember that? Uh, they find, he, he finds a, um, a well, he calls it Asek, and they will sit, and, the, and you know, he names them hatred, anger, meaning they're sources of great, what's the right word, tension. This is how the Middle East has run down till today. The big problem you're going to have in the coming years is the water sources. Remember where you heard this. I don't want to be right, but remember where you heard this. Because all these uh, countries, it's all of and water. The public's so stupid, they just follow what they read in the news, which just follows things at a very superficial level. The real name of the game is the aquifers and where you get the water from. So, like, the Palestinians want a state, but where are they going to get the water from, you understand? And right now, Israel controls the water. And if it's up to them, they'll steal all the water, just like uh, you find in the time of Avimelech and, and Yitzhak and Gror, all the things we find in our parsha. And they'd rather plug up if they could make it that Israel wouldn't get any water, they they cut off their own water for themselves also, because that's how it works in the Middle East. There's a very famous saying from the 9th century, from Hunan Benishak, that an angel in the Middle East comes to someone and says, I'll give you whatever you want, but whatever you get, your neighbor gets double. Right? So let's say, for example, you want $10 million, your neighbor gets $20 million. So any normal guy says, so give me a billion, what do I care if the other guy gets $2 billion? You know, what, what do I care? But the story is, the angel says, what do you want? And whatever you get, I'll give you your name your double. He said, knock out one of my eyes. <laughs> you know That's the Middle East. By Satsum you find that as these parts, they rather destroy the wells and, and and cause a loss of water for themselves and an and ability to graze their sheep there. And those, they rather wreck their own economy, just get the Jews the heck out of there because nothing has changed in thousands of years. That's how you know the Parsha of the Week, as I always say, is the Parsha of the Week. And so Yitzhak has to pack out of there. And uh, God appears to him in that night and says, don't worry. So obviously Yitzhak was real worried. Uh, and then what happens? They build, uh, they discover another well. And basically, you can already start to see that Yitzhak is blessed by God. Meaning wherever he goes, to go, whatever he touches t- turns to gold. Or as they say in the Middle East, whatever he touches turns to water. Uh, Rehovos, they call it, right? Which is not our Rehovos. It's a different place. It's in the desert. It's, I mean, it's in the Negev. These places are all south of Beersheba. We know where they are today, more or less, and they end they're like south of Beersheba. Now, uh, which isn't the end of the earth, but it's not in the center of Israel either. Now, then comes something very interesting. Whatever he touches turns to success. So then the Arabs show up. Avimelch shows up with, with his, a delegation, his secretaries of state, and Pichol, the commander of his army, the secretary of defense. And what are they doing? And, and Yitzhak says, what are you, why are you coming to me? You hate me. What's going, you kick me out. So why are you coming to me now? Like we're friends. We're not friends. And then it turns out they want a treaty. I think this is very, very interesting. Same thing happened with Avram. Uh, but the language is very close. You have to be a lawyer and read the language very closely. Uh, remember Avram also, it says that uh, they came there and Avram said, who stole my wells? And Avimel said, I don't know what you're talking about. And they had to swear and all this kind of business immediately before the Akeda. And this week we have something of a of a, uh, of a similar story with some important differences. I'm telling you this so you will, if you're so inclined, read this middle part of uh, Told Us, which is not about Yaakov and Esau and stealing the birthright. This is the part before that. That's why I'm concentrating this here, because this is the part people, uh, the Dvartors pay uh, less attention to. But to my mind, it's very no gear to the current Middle Eastern situation. And these guys show up, and he says, why do you come to me? You hate me. You expelled me. Now, why are you trying to come be my friend? And they're very honest. Basically, if we could, we'd kill you. 
but we see we can't kill you. We've seen that God is with you. In other words, for whatever reason, the gods like you, as the pagans would say, you know. Whatever you touch succeeds. And th since you're lucky, we can't buck the luck, and so we go with the flow. We make a treaty with you. Now listen to the words of the treaty. If you harm us when we didn't attack you, if we treated you okay and you attack us, basically, you should be cursed by God. So this is what we want to... Did you listen closely to the words? It said like this. The treaty goes as follows. You can't attack us uh, if we didn't attack first. <laughs> you hear what I said? You can't attack us if, if, we, if, if we didn't shoot at you, you don't have the right to shoot at us. So you say, what's wrong with that? Talk to me, lawyers. It doesn't say we can't attack you. <laughs> you get that? It's, you have to take the first blow, what it boils down to. Basically, like Begin, I talked about this in my lecture the other day, bombed the uh, Iraq reactor in uh, 1981. Because he said, they're going to build an A-bomb and drop it on us. And the world, the United Nations protested. Why did protest? You can't go first. If they attack you, then you can fight back. Wait a minute, they're going to nuke me. Yeah, okay, but that, but at least the rules were followed. You didn't attack first. That's nuts. So Yitzhak does sign such a treaty. And he finds himself, I guess, compelled by circumstances to do this non-aggression pact, which basically left the initiative in the hands of the Goyim. What I mean by that is, it's clear from the whole process, that the only reason they made peace with Yitzhak is they saw they couldn't prevail against them. So they don't mean to keep their word. The minute they are convinced that Yitzhak no longer has the force behind them, the, the, the spell, the charm, the God behind them, they're going to kill him. That's who they are. You know what I'm saying? It's not like they want peace for the sake of peace, or idealism, or like Isaiah beat their shorts, swords in the plowshares and all that. We like to kill you. You're too strong for us. As long as you're too strong for us, let's have a treaty that you can't attack us. This is the worst kind of cynical diplomacy. And he just like, buys into it. He buys into it. And so basically, he says, in order to live in this country, I'm in a very funny situation. So is Avram. On the one hand, they were told, this land will one day be mine. <laughs> On the other hand, I can't do it now. Uh, that's a very funny situation. You know, Abraham moved down there, and the sea Elohim Atobah he was a powerful and well-respected guy. But when it comes to the part about him inheriting the whole land, that they don't want to do. When he wants to bury Esau, it's a gone the business, you know, to buy the land for the grave. Yitzhak also, he's a big and powerful guy, but they don't want his wells, and they don't want him living among them. And what they're saying is, doggone it, you know, your God is uh, successful. This is what's going on in Israel today. If you know, I'm sure you know, the Saudis and the others are kissing up to Israel. Why? you got a big economy. You have high tech, startup nation. Uh, if we could, we'd wipe you out. Since we can't wipe you out, let's make some profit off of you. Now, there's some stupid Israelis who say, see, Doug, the, 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 the sun is shining and uh, everything's going great. But if you're smart and you read the parsha over here, it's all temporary. And the minute you're no longer powerful or technologically advanced or something like that, We'll turn around and kill you because there was no friendship there in the first place. And this is not only my vart. Uh, there is a man, I mentioned this in a class today. I happen to remember this from next week's parsha from uh, Bayetse, where it says, Bayetse Yakum and Beersheba. And the very first Medrash, I think, or the second, Medrash Rabbah says, Where did Yaakov go from? Uh, basically, he was uh, north of Beersheba and he was heading north to Syria.
to Aram the Rhyme. So why did he go southwards to Beersheba? You know what I'm saying? There are answers you can give, but I'm telling you what the Medish Rabbah says. And he says it doesn't mean he left from Beersheba. It means he, le- he, meant he left from the Be'er Shel Shavua, from the pitfalls that were involved in case he has to make an oath like his father and grandfather did, not to harm the Arabs, not to harm the Palestinians. It's very interesting. In other words, I mentioned this earlier today. Suppose you had the following scenario, which is not going to happen, but let's say it did. Suppose the Arabs got together and they said, you know, Gnugshan, if you really, really, really will withdraw from to the 67 borders, give up all the Shtachim, give up East Jerusalem, and the Kotel and the Harbais, all the rest of it, in return, we will mamish, mamish, really, really, really make a f- full and total peace. There will be no more wars, and Israel can live like a regular country. Would the Israelis take it? And the answer is it would be a very a complex uh, a challenge. Because on the other hand, what mother wants her kids to go on forever fighting in battle? Halonetzah tochal cherev, as Yob said. You know, it's, uh, who, who wants that? Uh, so people are yearning for peace. On the other hand, are you really giving up on your birthright? When Eretz Yisrael, this is the, this is the conundrum faced by Avram, and this is the conundrum faced by Yitzhak. And for better or worse, they chose diplomacy. It's very interesting. Now, did they do the right thing or not do the right thing? There is a famous Rashbam. You know, the commentary of the Rashbam on the Chumash. I remember this so well. And he says that the treaty Avram... Let me, let me rephrase this. Why is the story of the treaty of Avram immediately followed by the Akedah Yitzhak? back in Vayera. And the Rajbam says, like this, that God was angry at Avram, who gave you the right to negotiate a treaty with the Plishtim, with the Palestinians, uh, that you made Be'er Shabbat, you know, they, they made a, a Shua there, with Abimelech. And the words of the Rajbam are, Nizga'isa sheish l'aben, kum haleo ala hamriya, something like that. Which means, you, Avram, were a man of faith, as long as you didn't have any children. It's easy to be like that. But once you had kids, now you have a son of Yitzhak, you've got to be practical. You've got to think, you know, get him a parnosa, get him a future. And so even though God did not warn Avram to make any treaties with the local people, but rather he would uh, one day inherit the whole thing and he should act that way. Instead, Avram said, i got to be at least in my time practical and make a treaty with the them in order to benefit my son. Kill your son, Shechtim and Harmaria. And the idea was, then you'll learn that God's word comes first, and that you can't have your own cheshbonus. Uh, now, you and I know at the end he didn't kill him, meaning God wasn't really going to tell him to kill him, but he wanted to shake up Avram. And uh, that's very interesting, because what he's saying is, don't give away what's yours. You're saying, don't give away right away what's yours, which Avram kind of did, and Yitzhak in this week's parsha does. And what is the juxtaposition in this week's parsha? Once Yitzhak makes a treaty with the Arabs, everything should be great. Wrong. The next line is that Asa marries these two shikhs as to drive the parents crazy. So instead of having peace in his household, he has internal discord. And next thing you know, you have the, 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 the Yaakov cheats Esau, and Esau swears to kill Yaakov. And so the family fall, breaks apart over that issue, over the Bechorah. Uh, once again, sort of sounding like, see, I told you not to make a treaty with the Goyim, not to make a treaty with the uh, Plishtim. So it's a you know, very striking the uh, uh, arrangement of the juxtapositions that you have in uh, Vayera on the one hand and in our Parsha and told us on the other. And, you know, he said, what am I doing wrong? You know, I'm, 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 I'm just trying to live practically. And you see, the Elvis, I guess we're not expected to live practically or something like that. So this, 
by the way, problematizes, as far as I'm concerned, the story of the birthright and the stealing of the birthright. Because the usual way people say it's like this. It is a chazal, that uh, Yitzhak was a sap. He fell for Esau shooting the bull with him. Esau pretended to be from, and Yitzhak, you know, fell for it, but Rivka didn't fall for it. That's usually the way we've heard it since we're kids. But wait a minute. It says immediately before the story of the birthright, right after the treaty with the Arabs, it said that the Esau went and married two shikses and drove the parents crazy with these wives. So Yitzhak must have known if Yitzhak comes back with two girls and introduce them, Trixie and Schlixie, you know, that Esau is not who I imagined, because this is the guy who's always saying, what kind of mice do you give on salt? And also the stick, and he running up with these two girls. I'm sure he'd take one look at them, and they did not look like BJJ, you know, and uh, that's the way Esau was. So at that point, uh, how, why was Yitzhak still considering to give the birthright to Esau? That's, uh, you know, an interesting connection to the story. But uh, that I leave, I'm sure, to be a million uh, podcasts and things like that. Everybody try to explain what was the Yitzhak Cheshman at, so I, that I leave for others. I just wanted to send a little bit of this out early this week so people have time for it before Shabbos. Have a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.